reading of God's word this morning is from Psalm 121. Psalm 121 can be found on page 516 of the Blue Pew Bible. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. Let us pray as we start. Lord, we pray that you would work in our hearts today to more convince us of your tender care of your people. And Lord, that we individually will so trust in that care that it it will it will change the way we live it will change the way we approach difficulty and and danger or what we perceive as danger that it will affect how we face the things that scare us most the things most deeply hidden in our lives that we've tucked away we we, we can't even think about them we we were so practiced in not dealing with those issues. We pray, Lord, that you would open up by your Spirit uh, our lives to rest ourselves in the wonderful care of our God through Jesus Christ. And, Lord, that we will just continue throughout our lives to grow in this most central part of our relationship with you. Entrusting ourselves to the God who cares for us. Lord, bless us, we pray. For Jesus' sake, amen. I don't remember the exact nature of where we were, what the, the full topography was. But when I was a really small kid, I, my brother, and my dad were in West Texas visiting grandparents they uh, they lived in roaring springs uh, a place just an hour and a half this side of lubbock and i would go out there and catch as we call them horny toads um, avoid red ants drop bubble gum down a hole to see a tarantula lay hold of it you know and dangle it on the end see said spiders walking across the floor of the little house that my grandmother lived in where I was going to sleep on a pallet, you know, 
stuff like that. Uh, seeing hornets kill cicadas and just the wild, wild west to me as a kid. Well, we were out somewhere and, uh, a storm came and a flash flood trapped us on some, a bit higher ground. And we, we really had to walk through, uh, the flood that to get to our, our vehicle. Now, my, I was maybe four or five because I can barely remember it. And my brother would have been two or three at the most. And we sure didn't look to each other. You know, I couldn't comfort, I, I couldn't say to my little brother, would you help me get across this stream? Because I knew he was, I was going to be dead if I got in it. And I knew he'd be deader because he's smaller than me. And even looking up to me, he, you know, if I had said, I'll take you across, he would have just, you know, screamed, knowing that I w- we're both going to die together. And I'll never forget that feeling of daddy taking hold of, and he was always daddy to me. I don't know, not dad, but daddy. Um, and he took both of our hands and it, the water was to here on us. It felt, it felt like if he just let me go, I'd sink right under it. But to him, it was just, you know, below his waist and he just, and daddy wasn't a big guy. He was, five, eight or nine and 150 pounds at the most. And, but he just strode through that flood, you know, and we were just dangling, you know, (laughs) you could just feel yourself. Don't let me go. Don't let me go. As we made it all the way through and could look back on that place of imminent death and danger and realize that daddy had, had taken us through. We were without hope, saving his mercy (laughs) at that point. And that comes to mind as I think about Psalm 121. I lift my eyes to the hills from where does my help come? And the first thing I want to talk about this morning is that we first have to realize how desperately we need help. Or this psalm doesn't mean anything to us. We sadly, many days... Do not have a conscious, felt sense of, I'm utterly undone today if God does not hold me up. Now, the problem is that today you probably knew where your food was going to come from. Had plenty of food. You, You didn't, in fact, it's keeping from eating too much food is our main problem, right? (laughs) And you, probably knew how you were going to travel today and you if it was a little bit cool or a little bit warm you adjusted the temperature of your air if your water was a little bit hot or cold you adjusted the temperature of the water that's coming into your house so that when you wash your hands it's the perfect temperature everything's provided just right at your fingertips and so physically There's no corollary to what people throughout the history of the world have known daily of not even knowing where they're going to get their food that day. We have that supplied. And as God said to Israel in Deuteronomy 8, he said, you're going to, out here in the wilderness, it's one thing. Because you have no food, you have no water. 
And if I don't bring the food every day, you'll die. If I don't bring water out of a rock or somewhere, you're going to die. You know that. You feel it. And that was a training for those 40 years of your absolute dependence upon me. He said, but when you get in the land, Deuteronomy 8, when you get in the land, you're going to have these fields and flocks and everything's going to provide, be provided and you're going to forget who gives you this. You're just as absolutely dependent in the land as you were in the wilderness. But you won't get it. You won't get the connection. So we talked about before that prayer in the Lord's Prayer, which if you really think about it is a weird prayer for us. Give us this day our daily bread. Right? You really mean that one? Lord, I have no hope of eating today except that you give me something to eat. Oh, Lord, give me something to eat today. No, that's not our prayer. We don't have that mentality. Well, so this physical supply can seep into our spiritual life as well. And we walk day in and day out into the world and we have no sense that a mortal enemy is out to assassinate me today just think how careful you would be if you knew that they had a hit on you yeah those guys you know the mob that your name was on their list you probably wouldn't walk in front of a window at night would you (laughs) you probably would have Trouble starting your car for wondering if it's going to blow up. You know, this sense of need that we would have in this circumstance. But Peter, for instance, tells us that Satan goes about like a roaring lion, seeking every day whom he may devour. You think of a field in which there is a ravenous, man-eating tiger adept at killing and eating people as a great substitute. He's realized it's so much easier to kill a human being than an antelope. And he's out there in this tall grass, and you've got to get to the other side. And you've been given uh, an indicator as where the tiger is and where you are, and you've been given a gun. Which one of you say, eh, I don't need these. Boom, 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 boom. You know, I would just be... Yeah, well, I probably couldn't read it because I'd be shaking, you know. But you could just imagine the tools that would be given you so that you could get through the field safely. And so, again, spiritually, we have, we so quickly lose sight of our danger as human beings. And all of this, get to this point, is because we don't value obedience to God. We don't value growth in His grace. We don't see the warfare as, I've got to give everything I can today so that I can push back sin in my life, so that I can be become more like Christ, so that I can be aware of temptation and sin, so that I can be a better husband than I was yesterday, a better father, better brother, better sister, etc., The urge to grow, to be more like Christ, and for that to be done with some comfort and joy in our life as well. Critical part of it. And so, 
I will lift my eyes to the hills from which does my help come. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Just the sense, the first thing that we constantly have to see is our constant need every day, every hour of God's help, for God's help. And if we have a strong sense of our need of his help, then we'll value the greatness of his help. Because if we realize the need of, of his help, we realize something of our weakness, something of our tendency to sin, something of our tendency not to think well, to think poorly of others, to uh, abuse those even closest to us. And we'll be going into our days reaching toward this God who made heaven and earth to realize this God who made all things He can save me today. He can rescue me. He can change me. So the need for God's help. And so the psalmist, we don't know his particular situation. We don't know his the particular circumstance of this psalm. So it's in a general way, whatever help is needed... This is what he is looking to God for. And the second thing that we need to understand about our uh, approach to help is not only not seeing our need for God's help, but our use of substitutes in place of God's help. Our use of substitutes in place of God's help. Uh, We all tend to grow up and... Form ways to get through life. Form ways to make it through difficulty. And many of those ways are not ways of trusting God. And you run into this when you are uh, instantly, sometimes suddenly plagued with anxiety or depression or anger. Especially those kinds of things. Fear and anger take over and outbursts of mistreatment of others. And they come... And they come to you when you you know intellectually that you'd never want to say those kinds of things. You never want to feel those kinds of things. You know a lot of what the Bible says about those things. And yet they just are disgorged from your life. You know, They just happen to you, it feels like. And many times these are all the familiar, much used comfortable, controllable, ready-at-hand ways that we have to get through our days. And, of course, this can also mean that we use various substances. We use entertainment. Uh, we, use, we can use hobbies. Uh, we can use wasting time. We can use all kinds of things to help uh, massage us through difficulty. And... The psalmist here, of course, is saying there, there is one way, one help that I'm looking to and no other help that I'm looking to. Uh, we uh, believers have often in our past and present lives been, you might say, cheated by imposters. That's a phrase from Calvin when he writes and says that the difference in unbelievers and believers is the one, the unbeliever, is constantly cheated by imposters. That was a great phrase. That 
they never are trusting the true God and loving Him and delighting in Him and looking to Him in the midst of trouble to see His purposes and His kindness in the midst of it and to have their lives governed by the knowledge that God has sacrificed His own Son for them. And so, all the time they are cheated by imposters, but we ourselves can so easily cheat ourselves by imposters. Our little useless, false saviors, we keep them almost like a collection under glass of things, ready ways that we go to to comfort us and relieve us. You find this if you, in an average week, are spending many hours of your free time doing everything but prayer and the Word. It doesn't mean you have to totally spend your time in prayer and the Word in your available, relaxed time. But when you find yourself relieving yourself and refreshing yourself in every other way outside of the Word and prayer, then you can be sure that I'm substituting these as my help. I'm looking to these things for my life. I'm looking to these things... As the, the way that I will be sustained uh, in my life. Rather than the use of these things in order that you would rejoice in God in them. As shown in the way that you eagerly seek him in the word and in prayer. And so we can be on these kind of devious circuits you know, that are outside the help of God, turning in every direction instead of God himself to trust him. And ironically, one of the ways that this can happen is when you are rejecting the fellowship and help of God's people. That's a little irony because you'd think, well, if you're trusting in God only, then you don't need the help of God's people. But God's people are one of the primary ways he reaches out to you to help you. To be vulnerable with God's people and transparent with God's people. And you can uh, abandon God's help in his people by your own self-help and your own uh, secure, prideful sense of protection. Instead of opening yourself up to the people of God, becoming a part of a small group, but becoming more and more part of the life of the people of God. This is another way that you are saying, Lord, my help comes from you and not myself. My help comes from you and your people as you spread your gifts and graces and strength throughout your people. Oh, Lord, I entrust myself to you. By giving myself to your people. So beware of the excuse of I'm just hanging out with God and me. And I'm depending on him alone. Uh, This can be actually a denial of God and a rejection of God. If you're rejecting his people. So there's the need for God's help. And then there's this clear need to avoid the substitutes for God's help. But then there's the surety of God's help, the certainty of God's help. And that comes first from his being creator. 
My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So he is the unlimited Lord of creation, having made all things and made all people. And therefore, he controls and governs all things and all people. There are no boundaries for the one who holds all things in his hand and can do with him whatever he wishes. And the word help here is the same word. You sung it perhaps many times in that hymn, Here I Raise My Ebenezer. You know, that's one of those words you think, what in the world is an Ebenezer, right? Well, Eben is a stone and Ezer, Ezer, is help. And that's the word here, help. And actually, it's when Samuel puts a pile of stones and says, this is a sign that God has helped us up to this point after a big deliverance. So we call it an Ebenezer, stone of help. He's the stone of help, and this, this is a symbol of his being a stone of help. So he is our Ezer, our constant Ezer, our constant help. And isn't it amazing that the creator of the world has taken this office upon himself? This my job. I will be your constant help in everything. And nothing can stay my hand in terms of this help. And really the rest of the psalm is now the psalmist talking to himself. Because he says, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And then he says, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. He's not so much announcing to someone else. He's like telling himself, this is who your God is. This is how he will help you. This is what he will do for you. And this is our challenge as well to to talk to ourselves, to preach and proclaim to ourselves the constant care of our God, that our make the maker of heaven and earth is utterly dedicated to us. And he's, the fact that he is uh, the creator means that the whole world cannot in any way even begin to slow down the blessing of God that's going to come to us. The whole world, uh, there, there will never be any kind of diversion of God's blessing. Uh, there will never be any kind of uh, detour of God's blessing. Uh, there, there's never uh, an engagement that could stop God at any point from bringing into our lives what he chooses to. Because he is sovereign over all things. So you can never be cheated out of life. You can't be. No matter what happens to you, no matter what event occurs to you, it's because he is Lord of heaven and earth. And you and I need to ask ourselves, how much do I believe that my help comes from the Lord of heaven and earth? How much am I convinced of this? And as we talked about in Sunday school class, because we're talking about creation in Sunday school class, this is not something that you just pull out as a fact. Oh yeah, God is Lord of heaven and earth. It comes through worshiping him as Lord of heaven and earth. It comes because you are living in awe of this God who made all things. You have a sense of his great power and ownership of all things. And and you regularly have honored him and praised him for this. And taken active comfort in your own personal worship and in public worship of the mighty power of God that has no limit. And therefore, when difficulty hits, 
you have an atmosphere in which you've, you're living. You, you've created, you've trained yourself, you see. you trained yourself in believing in the awesome power of God. And so the worship of God as our creator and the exploration of the majesty of God in creation is such a vital part of your trust. Your trust is tied to your worship. So because we all know that we believe in that fact. You believe in the fact that God created all things and he owns everything and he governs everything. But there's a disconnect for you and me so many times in that having any effect in what's going on in my life right now, bringing me comfort in the midst of this conflict or in the midst of this difficulty, in the midst of this tragedy, for it to mean something to me at that point. And I urge you that Constant, regular, sweet worship and being lost in the joy and admiration. Cultivating awe, as we've talked about. Cultivating the awe of God as maker of heaven and earth is one of the most critical things for your daily life. To live in a life of trust. It comes from living a life of awe and worship of this God of all things. And, of course, one of the things that comes out here is he's the surety of God's help because he's creator, okay? But the surety of God's help because he's so attentive, right? He's so attentive in this passage. The word keep is found six times. And as many commentators point out, that it's repeated because you don't tend to believe it, Okay? So he says it again, he says it again, he says it again. says it in so many ways. He's the one who keeps you. He's the one who keeps Israel. What does that mean? Well, he's the one who keeps the church itself. And you're a part of that church. So you're to take encouragement that he keeps his church as a whole. And therefore he keeps me because I'm a part of his people. He died for his people. He died to rescue us. And I'm a part of that rescue mission. I belong to his body. And he care, He nourishes and cherishes his body. Because it is his body. It belongs to him. And he nourishes and cherishes it. And you belong to that body. So he is your keeper. Verse 5. And he keeps you. We'll, we'll explore a little bit. From all evil, he keeps your life. He'll keep your going out and your coming in. But the attentive nature of being the assigned keeper for you. God is your personal keeper. And that's what you have to draw from this. Wherever I am, whatever I'm doing, that's the emphasis, isn't it? From all evil, no matter what strikes you, sun and moon are are set before you in verse 6 to say, whatever thing may come to you, He is with you and he keeps you. To mention that he's your shade means that he is constantly your shade. He is always uh, your shade. He never is not a shade to you. He is always going to bring to you in the midst of what's going on in your life. Relief and hope. A sense of his presence. An ability to love others in the midst of it. A a sense of his purpose in, in what you're struggling with. To have shalom and peace. Uh, to temper your grief. There will always be shade. 
you can expect it. You can pray for it. Oh, Lord, right now, I need the precious shade that you bring your people. You, you can hear of this in other Psalms. Uh, for instance, in Psalm 61, let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Oh, that's a prayer in the midst of you know, mind-numbing difficulty that's beyond, it's off the charts of anything you expected in your life. Oh, Lord. You know, that. let me take refuge. Just enable me to sense and feel and enter into that refuge under your wing. It's not a, the wing is there and it's outstretched. It's ready for you. Let me take refuge there. Let me be able to, Be relieved and comforted under your wing, Lord. And later in Psalm 63, verse 7, You have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. A wonderful picture for us. It doesn't say the sun and the storm and the miseries of life will be removed from you, but there will be shade in it. There will be relief in it. I will be present to you in it. Even in death, there is resurrection. And the final renewal of the earth defines everything that happens to you to know, finally, in the end, all of this misery will be gone and the whole earth will be replenished and renewed in his presence. As he says in Revelation uh, chapter 21, talking about this very thing in verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And so when he says he will keep you from all evil. You can, you can look at that sometimes and think. Yeah, right. All evil. All pain. Tell me about it. Tell me what happened growing up. Tell me what happened yesterday. Tell me what's happening in my extended family is not evil. It's not wrong. It's not bad. You see, there's this ultimate promise. Ultimately and finally, I will keep you from all evil. And that's so important when we're going through the hardest, most painful, and sometimes physically painful things to realize when When we talk about God works all things together for good, we tend to think God doesn't even care what I'm going through. Rather than realizing God has an infinite hatred of the evil that you're going through. He despises the curse of sin, everything associated with sin. And he will not relent until it's all gone. He has a purpose for it now, yes. And he will use it to form you, showing that the most important thing in God's agenda is for you to become more like Christ and to manifest the love of God and to sing his praises even in the midst of difficulty and show his greatness by the joy that you can have in him in the midst of terrible events. But that's not the final end, the final end. And I will remove all of this. Because I hate it worse than you do. 
He is always on your side and ultimately will bring us so that all evil is removed from us. And there's that some of the sense of you're going out and you're coming in saying he will stay with you all the way to the end and he will bring your life to its proper conclusion. He will never abandon you. He will always be with you in your going out and your coming in and everything in between. He attends you. Constant permanent watch so it's as though we're you know an army and we're about to go to sleep and okay he'll take the watch and you all look over to God and says I got it you know and even during the day and during the afternoon and morning and evening in every part of your life I've got it 24 7 I take the watch I take the watch and I never take my eyes off of you So every step of yours is a kept step. Every day is kept. Every encounter, every relational difficulty, every trial, every tragedy, you are being kept. You are actively being kept by God for His purposes to form you into the image of Christ. He is always at work. He's always protecting, always aware, always in control, Always accomplishing his will. Always bringing about his enrichment plan. His transformation outcome in your life. One commentator pointed out that even a guard that knows that he will die if he falls asleep. Falls asleep. (laughs) It's happened many times in history. But your God never, ever takes his eyes off of you. He always is shading you. He's always attending you. He's always keeping you. Um, And finally, we have such incredible comfort, not only in the fact that he's our creator, the fact that he's attentive, and the fact that he is present with us, but we have the greatest comfort in knowing the surety of God's help through The very death of Christ itself. And I want to close with this as we come to the Lord's table by referring to uh, a chapter in Thomas Cahill's book, How the Irish Irish Saved Civilization. I know some of you have read that. It's a, a really tremendous book. But in setting up how the Irish saved civilization, he talks about how the Irish were saved to begin with. How these pagan Celts were uh, rescued from their uh, paganism. And it's through a guy named Patricius, whom we know as St. Patrick, right? And they talk about the incredible change that occurred when these people who sacrificed one another, in fact, as... Cahill says, all early peoples sacrificed human beings. All early people. Okay. So that's just what you did. You sacrificed uh, fellow human beings. And they were sacrificing human beings because the thought is of these gods that were 
Uh, and the Celts had terrible gods. He says you can just tell from the pictures of them that these were terrible gods to deal with. And the stories about these gods and how many hundreds would be killed at the most capricious act of these gods. Uh, you you just lived a life knowing I'm going to be here and today I'm going to be dead and gone and it's over and nobody cares because the gods don't care about me. And the idea in sacrifice was here, take him, not me. Okay, maybe if this person is sacrificed and he bleeds, then I won't have to bleed. If he dies, I won't have to die. Because this impassive Godhead demands someone's blood, let it not be mine. That was the fundamental idea. Well, there's a lot that we could say for that. But here is Cahill saying, Yes, the Irish would have said when he's talking about the gospel. A story that answers our deepest needs and answers them in a way so good that we could never have dared dream of it. We can put away our knives and abandon our altars. These are no longer required. God has given up his own son and we are washed clean in the blood of this lamb. God does not hate us. He loves us. Greater love than this no man has than that he should lay down his life for his friends. This is just a historian writing here. That is what God's word made flesh did for us. From now on, we are all sacrifices, but without the shedding of blood. It is our lives, not our deaths, that this God wants. But we are to be sacrifices. For Paul adds to this hymn in Philippians 2, let this same mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. And so uh, they experienced this God in a way that it's hard for us to imagine, turning life from you having to shed your blood and shed other people's blood Hopefully staying away death for a little bit longer to find out, no, the true God came as a man and shed his blood for you. And you don't have to sacrifice anything. You don't have to shed any more blood. You just give yourself up into the gracious care of this God. And that's where the New Testament says, my help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The Lord who came to earth and died for my sins. That's where my help comes from. Will he be attentive? Will he keep you who shed his blood for you? And I want to ask you, do you want to live your life outside of that care? Outside of his love? Rejecting his word, rejecting entrusting your life to him in prayer, rejecting being a part of his people where more and more you hear and imbibe the, the sense of trust in this God and are encouraged to love him. He talks about, in the end of this chapter, two absolute gorgeous uh, pieces of silver. Uh, One's called the Gunstrom Cauldron that obviously had been meticulously made. And on it, part of what's on the cauldron is this God who is dipping people into a vat of boiling stuff. Okay, that's just for his delight, you know, boiling people. And 
They said it was obviously broken and then thrown into this swamp to appease the God. So somebody spent hours and hours and hours, maybe months and months and months, forming this this silver chalice and then breaking apart and giving it to this God as a as an offering. Versus the Arda chalice, which was just as uh, fantastically made, but this was the chalice for the Lord's Supper, you know, chalice for communion. And this is the way he put it. Like the cauldron, this chalice was forged for ritual, but it makes a happier statement about sacrifice. For the God to whom it is dedicated no longer demands that we nourish him and thus become one with his Godhead. The transaction has been reversed. He offers himself to us as heavenly nourishment. In this new economy, we drink the blood of God and all become one by partaking of the one cup, the one destiny. The silver chalice was meant to delight and refresh the humans who drained its mystical contents. That's the God who cares for you. That's the Lord of heaven and earth. There's only one, one Lord of heaven and earth. And he's the kind of God who dies for his people. He's in care of you. Let us pray. Lord, bless us. Bless us, O Lord, that we can be all the more convinced of your constant care of us, Lord of heaven and earth. Nothing can stop your goodness coming to your people. And though, Lord, how many times it doesn't look like goodness, and it's so hard to interpret, it's so hard to see through the pain and perhaps years of terrible things that happened to us before we were believers and then other difficulties that have come to us as believers. Lord, help us to read, to read the rainbow in the rain, to read the goodness and promise of God, to read the God who sacrificed his own son who is now keeping us and being our shade in every circumstance of life. Lord, enable us not to have pagan views of you, Not to think that you're out for our blood. Not to interpret these events as you must be out for my blood. You must not care about my blood. You must not care about my feelings. You must not care about my pain. But, oh Lord, we are the ones for whom blood has been shed. We're the ones that belong to this God who has... Refused nothing for his people and will refuse nothing for his people. However long it may be in those things coming. Whatever difficulties may come in the midst and in between. And even those to be used to form us into Christ and to prepare us for that final enrichment. Everything comes from your love and care. And nothing can touch us outside of your care. Oh, Lord, we we are riddled with unbelief, even as your people. We are riddled with our substitutes, well-worn, well-used. Lord, enable us to trust in you alone. 
And as part of that, Lord, to give ourselves to the people of God, to worship with your people and minister with your people and fellowship with your people, to avail ourselves of the help of God that is given to his people, to each of them through his people. Bless us, O Lord, with such faith for your glory and honor. Amen.